Hello, and welcome to Trek in Time, the podcast that takes a look at Star Trek in order and in history. And of course, that may be confusing to the listener. So let me explain what I mean by that. I mean, we're going to be looking at each episode in chronological order, and we're going to be taking a look at what the world was like when that episode originally aired. So at this point, we're still very early, and we're looking at Enterprise as opposed to starting with the original series or Discovery. And you're also wondering who the heck is talking right now? Whose eyes are going to do all this looking? It's me. It's Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. My books include some sci-fi and also some picture books. And with me is my brother, Matt. He's the tech guru and main inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Say hi, Matt. Hello. How's that, Brigadoon? doing? So today we're going to be looking at episode six of Enterprise. And this episode is titled Terra Nova. It aired originally on October 24th, 2001, and it was viewed by 8.35 million people, which is almost the same number of listeners we have. No, wait, I, <laughs> that's wrong. I'm sorry. S subtract a million I'm, off of I'm, I may be overstating. <laughs> so what was the world like when this episode aired? Well, for our listeners up to this point who've, who've been checking out our previous episodes, they will not be surprised. The number one song, Alicia Keys' Fallen. <laughs> it's like we're, the record is skipping each week. On this. Yeah. It's like, it, At this point, it's, it, we're, we'd be hard-pressed to believe that there were any other songs available at that time. The number one movie that week was, and this falls back into the category of, I don't remember this movie at all. <laughs> it's the movie From Hell. And From Hell is a 2001 American slasher film directed by the Hughes brothers and written by Terry Hayes and Rafael Iglesias. It is loosely based on the graphic novel From Hell by Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell about the Jack the Ripper murders. The film stars Johnny Depp as Frederick Aberline, the lead investigator of the murders, and Heather Graham. Do you remember Heather Graham? Yes, I do. Yeah. There she she kind of disappeared. There was an actress out there <laughs> named Heather Graham. Yeah. She was Mary Kelly, a prostitute targeted by the Ripper. Other cast members include Ian Holm, great, great uh, character actor, Robbie Coltrane, Ian Richardson, and Jason Fleming in supporting roles. Again, this is a movie I, I know I, I watched the trailer and suddenly it came flooding back to me of like, oh, I never saw that, but I remember when that came out. Right. It, yeah, it's all about Jack the Ripper. As far as the show's competition, the number one TV show this week, just like last week, was ER. It's uh, for any listeners who aren't aware of what ER is. It's a little medical drama that aired for about a thousand years on NBC and had <laughs> probably a billion viewers. <laughs> and the headlines on the day that this episode would have aired from the New York Times, the anthrax scare was still continuing. U.S. officials voice new worry after traces of anthrax taint off-site White House mailroom and the U.S. at that time was still in the early days of trying to wrest control of Afghanistan away from the Taliban. But it's not all bad news. There is one headline here that I think is uh, a nice reminder of what progress can look like even in dark days. The headline is, IRA relents is dismantling its arms cache. This yeah. is, of course, at the end days of the troubles in the U.K. with the IRA fighting back against British control. So this episode 
As I mentioned, it is titled Terra Nova. Matt, do you want to give us a synopsis of the sure. show? Sure. Enterprise learns the fate of a human colony not heard from for 70 years. When the crew arrives, they discover an unexplained radiation at the site of the colony, which forced the survivors to hide underground. And radiation levels 70 years ago would have been lethal. They find that the people still there are living underground, mainly from the children of these people that died off from the radiation. Before we get into the plot and talk about the episode, I just wanted to throw out two things that this show reminded me of. It reminded me of the lost children from Mad Max Beyond. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Tomorrow, tomorrow, land, Sean. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, bye bye It's impossible to see the depiction of this group of people and not yeah. think of, of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, the literally right down to the face painting Yes. Yeah. Everything about their culture seemed to be lifted from that. And the other thing I wanted to mention was right off the bat, this episode hits a similar note to the previous episodes we've talked about, which have included elements of ghost stories and almost tall tale like setups. And this episode has something similar where you have, um, the, the pilot of the Enterprise is, is telling people about his understanding of this colony, his fascination with the story of this colony, this missing colony that disappeared. It took humans nine years to travel from Earth to this planet. It was the first Earth-like planet in a nearby star system that the, that the humans discovered. And their warp systems were not yet advanced enough to be able to get there quickly. So it took them nine years to reach it. And by the time follow-up ships arrived, the, the colony was deserted and nobody was able to figure out what happened. And that's very much like the Roanoke colony in the United States. This is a colony that was set up. It was uh, Sir Arthur Raleigh originally was the, the person who helped establish this colony and this was uh, 1585. And by the time they came back, the colony was deserted. It was fortified. So everything was locked down. And there was a word, Croatoan, that had been carved into one part of the, of the colony's fort. And nobody was ever able to figure out what that meant. And this is a historians have looked at this as, well, what could have caused this kind of desertion of the colony? Could it have been something like, could there have been a storm? Could there have been something that drove them further inland? Were the colonists uh, absorbed into local indigenous tribes? Were they taken? Did they have to flee for some reason and then unable to return? But nobody's been able to piece together. So the setup of this episode made me think about those kinds of elements. This episode has that. The previous episode had ghost stories as a big part of the storytelling. And it made me think about the overall story Bible of Enterprise at this point. It it made me wonder if there was something going on in the writer's room where they were taking the approach of this is a precursor to the original series. It's a pre- at this point, the next show in the Enterprise lore would have been the original series. Mm-hmm. Discovery didn't yet exist. 
So they were looking at this as almost archaic history compared to Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, which were programs that had already aired. And I couldn't help but wonder if in the writer's room, they might not have taken the approach of saying, we have to look at this as the era of the sailing vessels. We have to look at this as the era of when worries that you might sail off the edge of the world might have existed in the mindset of some mm -hmm. of the explorers that early exploration at this era would have been like people getting into a ship in England and sailing to the new world, knowing it would take them not only years to get there, but they would never return. Mm -hmm. Because this seems to be a recurring theme, the kind of tall tale element to the storytelling, the ghost story element seems to be something I'm picking up. Do you, do you think that that's something you've seen as well? No, it is definitely something I've seen as well. It feels like they're trying to create that mapping, but at the same time, to me, it's not working. <laughs> it's, it's creating these kind of the stories that we've been seeing some, it's been really hit or miss if it works or not. And we'll mm -hmm. probably talk about more of that about the specific one just a little bit, but there's, it kind of puts them into a kind of a weird, in my opinion, place as far as the style of storytelling. Cause like you're saying, there's a lot of ghost stories. There's a lot of these, um, mystery box aspects to the storytelling, the booga 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 stuff that's going on with these stories. And that's not typically what you see in Star Trek shows. So I don't know no. if it was them trying to do something different outside the box. Uh, but I think they ended up putting themselves in a different box. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't didn't quite work so well um yeah yeah jumping ahead a little bit um one of the notes that i found about this episode was that showrunner brandon braga mm -hmm. actually said this was his least favorite episode of yeah. enterprise yeah uh and he thought it was boring and and i think that that We'll get into the plot in a minute, but I kept thinking about there is an episode of, and I don't know if I've mentioned it in this podcast yet. I've mentioned it in other conversations with you, the show Space 1999, which was a late 70s British European production. It was aired in the United States, largely in syndication in the late 70s, and it is available. You can find it on YouTube. It is a at times, psychedelic, funky, 2001 Space Odyssey, Odyssey mixed with um, mixed with the Star Trek uh, approach to science fiction. Mm -hmm. And it is at times Doctor Who-ish in how it depicts the aliens. They'll come across a group of, of aliens who are all basically just humans. But there is one episode in particular in which it's almost like this story, which is they find a civilization of humans who are cave dwellers. And so it's supposed to be this almost regression in culture to almost a tribe-like mentality among the Terranovans. And this episode of Space 1999 involved a more mystical storytelling mm -hmm. where members of the crew went through a mist. And when they went through the mist, it actually physically regressed them back to a caveman DNA that would be locked into our own DNA. So they it do physically literally regress to a caveman. 
that story as strange and funky as that show tends to be dealt with similar issues as this, as far as what is society, what is civilization, what does it mean to be a society, but dealt with it in a more interesting way because it's actually the crew that's going through this. Yeah. And the crew is actually in danger of hurting one another because the, of the caveman mentality that the cave, that the crew goes through. They actually take each other prisoner, threaten each other, they become possessive and they're a danger to one another. In this, it is entirely, and it's it's not a dichotomy that I like to promote, but it's very much a first world versus third world mentality, yes. which yes. is at times very distasteful. Um, yes. It's it these is, civilized people coming yeah. in and trying to civilize the uncivilized. Yeah. And there's and also rescue them from themselves. It's yeah. it, And that will come up. Uh, let's jump into the plot now because I think that at this point there's stuff in the plot that will trigger more of that conversation. Yeah. Um, so essentially the, the story starts off with the enterprise is investigating the first human deep space colony, Terra Nova. It's nine years away from earth at early warp speed. The colony has disappeared from the, the map. Uh, nobody's able to figure out what happened to the colonists. Captain Archer, Ensign Mary Mayweather, Lieutenant Reed, and some commander to Paul take a shuttle pod to the surface when they reach the planet. They find the ghost town and they detect the radiation that would have been lethal 70 years earlier. So Reed then detects a humanoid and gives chase. They find a cave entrance and inside Archer and Reed make first contact, but Reed is shot. And it's an interesting depiction of, of the technology that the original humans on the the colony would have had it is literally like a submachine gun so reed is shot with a bullet and he is captured they return to the enterprise archer and mayweather and to paul and it's there that they discuss the fact that all readings indicate that the attackers were humans not alien and they discover that there's 52 total bio signs in the cave including reeds Archer immediately wants to negotiate and takes Dr. Phlox down to the surface. There's a couple of very nice moments, I think, where he's working with Phlox and walking through the woods with his arms raised. And I liked how Phlox at that moment copies the movement, even though he doesn't quite understand what Archer is doing. It's like, oh, you must be doing something important, so I'll raise my arms too. Um, They run into two of the colonists, Jameen and Nadette, and they are led to Reed and they are allowed to talk to Reed to check him. And they are beginning to have a a debate effectively around like, you need to leave. Archer pushes back when he's, his viewpoint is you don't realize that you're potentially in danger here. Mm -hmm. And while they are treating Reed, Phlox discovers that Nadette, who is among, if not the oldest person, she's the oldest character that we see among the the tribes people. She has lung cancer and they convince her and her son to accompany them back to the enterprise where she can be treated. And while they are, while they are treating her lung cancer, the doctor discovers that there is a deeper problem in probably the groundwater that they are drinking. It is causing a uh, catastrophic breakdown of the molecular cell structures. 
and it is not something that he can cure. So effectively, they are living in a poison environment, and it's described as the poison rain, which was what tainted the the entire area. There's some back and forth between. Well, yeah, you want to let's pause this for there? one second. The one thing that this is the plot isn't describing is like how these humans that are cave dwellers have evolved to a point where they have a very specific culture now. Um, there's a moment where Reed is sitting there and he hears them all playing these kind of like flutes in this beautiful moment of them all just throughout the caves playing this very pretty music. And you can tell that there's a very distinct culture that has formed. They've branched away from us. But the thing that they, they all talk, like we talked about Mad Max, they all have this really weird way of talking instead of saying, you're lying. They said, oh, that's, that's shale. Yeah. And that's for a lie. Um, they, they talk in like weird conjunctions and things like that. It's, 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 yeah. it's a very, I don't know, my opinion, stupid way that they're talking, but they're, they've diverged enough. Um, and I kind of wanted to circle back to the way this all started. Like when they got there, they used Mayweather as an exposition device to yeah. give the backstory of all of like what happened to this colony and his fascination with it and tying back to our opening conversation part of what i found and i agree with Bran braga where he said this is a boring episode it is a boring episode and part of the reason for that is nobody's ever really in peril yeah even when uh, reed is shot he's never in peril because yeah. you can tell they're treating him with kindness they just want to be left alone. Yeah. And so it's, there's never a moment where you think any of these characters are truly going to be at risk. But the worst part about the biggest crime is that they didn't do any character development with any of the main characters that we're supposed to be identifying with. All of the character development was happening with the people in the caves, people that were, we've just met and we will never see again after this episode. And all of the main characters are actually secondary characters for what's going on. There's no character development. And yeah. I kind of going back to Mayweather, it's like, why wouldn't you use Mayweather as the cipher for the entire episode? Why wouldn't you do right. some kind of character? Like, what if it was uh, the captain that got injured and Mayweather was having to do negotiations down there? It's like he showed the interest in this colony. What if he was the main character throughout the entire thing of having to right. do something? Yeah. It's like, so you could see him develop as a character. And then we, as the viewer, are going to have a tighter connection to this main character that we'd have for the entire series. Right. It was like a wasted opportunity that they had with the setup and execution, which ended up creating a story we're just not completely invested in. Yeah, I have two responses to that. One is not only are the main characters, the character development, the Novens that we see yes. only in this episode, but their development is eventually to come around and agree with the first world thinking of the captain mm -hmm. as opposed to... Not completely. Not completely. Not completely, but effectively they have to be convinced that they are wrong about where they live. So their development hinges on the captain's better knowledge, which is kind of an unfair treatment of like the, but, the footing of the two of them. But ultimately, to go back to your earlier statement, if it had been Mayweather as the main negotiator i liked your suggestion of you go into the cave archer is the one that gets hurt immediately you say well what are the stakes what if archer had been shot in the back and the bullet is pressing on his spinal column 
and there's the potential of if he doesn't get medical help soon, he could be paralyzed or die. Mm -hmm. So now you've got stakes. And then Mayweather as the main interactor with them, his, not only his understanding, but their entire argument of we are not humans stems from the fact that they grew up in an environment where it's discovered what happened on this planet was that an asteroid impacted about, I think they say it's 500 kilometers away. There's an impact crater. Mm -hmm. The asteroid impact put up a plume of radioactive dust into the atmosphere that covered the entire Northern hemisphere. And that's what's been responsible for the poison rain. It's what's responsible for the initial radiation that drove people underground. But the early colonists interpreted it as an attack from earth. Mm -hmm. There was an antagonism between the early colonists and potential future colonists where Earth was saying, we're going to send more people to that planet. And the Novans, the first colonists were saying, no, this is our planet. You should stay away. It's something, uh, the show that you've actually recommended to me before, the one that was on sci-fi about the um, early Martian colony. I can't, Expanse. Yes. It sounds like that's effectively what the politics of that early situation yes. are. That it's yep. it's humans who no longer think of themselves as Terrans. So they interpret the asteroid impact as a threatening attack from Earth. And so they've conveyed that message to their children. Their children have now internalized that and think of humans, not Terrans, but humans as a problem. So they don't consider themselves human. And that dynamic if Mayweather was your main protagonist in this episode, mm -hmm. could have been a tremendous opportunity to reveal his, his understanding a, of himself a because he was a boomer and he grew up on a spacecraft. He did not grow up on Earth. His experience of being planetside was on other planets. And I can only imagine the interesting conversations that could have come from Archer making the argument, you are humans. We are all humans. You need to let us help you. And I do like that he included the phrase, let us help in one of the scenes. I think that uh, for me, that always goes back to the episode in the original series when Kirk and Spock travel back to pre-World War II and Kirk reveals that there is a novelist who will write the phrase, let me help has more meaning than I love you. That is a through line that I see in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of let us help you being a, a key moment. And Archer says that in this episode to the, to the group of, of Novans. And that stood out to me. But if Archer was making that argument, let us help, we are all humans and they're pushing back hard on we are not humans. Mayweather was in a very distinct position to be able to say, I know what you mean. Yeah. And as a human standing next to Archer to say to him, to say to the Novans effectively, I get what you are saying because it's hard for me sometimes to think of myself as an earth man, a Terran. Yeah. Because I did not grow up in that way. And their culture, and I agree with you, a little goofy that they call <laughs> yes. lies shale and they never explore why it's never, <laughs> it's never revealed. 
And as yeah. somebody who has a rudimentary knowledge of what shale is like, I could kind of understand like, okay, shale would be stone that looks hard, but is easily broken Crumbles. apart. So it would yeah. not be safe to walk on. Like if you were in a cave and there was a ledge made out of shale, you wouldn't want to walk on it because it could collapse. So, okay. Yeah. But when you think about the early you can't think too hard. Colonists, Don't think too hard. <laughs> yeah. You, you think about the early colonists, like at what point would somebody have said, you know, I've decided uh, I'm no longer going to use the word lies. I'm going to use the word shale <laughs> and convincing yes. all of his friends, like, let's go this way. Let's stop yeah. using the word lies. Yeah. It just starts to see seem a little uh, goofy. But effectively, the the Novans have been living in the cave at this point, the poison from the asteroid impact has worked its way down into the groundwater. They are drinking the groundwater. They are all sick. They are all living in a extreme sense of, of fear of strangers and distrust of the other mixed with the slow long-term process of this illness is making them extremely reluctant to see a danger. And Archer and Phlox try to convince them to leave because there is no way of, of getting them to, to, to come up with a cure for this slow poisoning effect. And the turning point revolves around Archer's using research, which is something that they showed Mayweather working with earlier in the episode, and Archer has photographs and they are able to identify who they think Nadette is in one of these photographs. And it's her as a small child sitting on her mother's lap. And by showing her this photograph and reminding her of her mother and basically baby stepping them through a process of saying, look at these pictures. These are clearly humans. These are humans in the colony. This is you. You understand now that you are a human. And for me, all of that, that was some of the stuff that I was like, okay, you're talking about a population that is now effectively an indigenous population. They have a very different culture. And, and they're one of the things that I found problematic in this was that push of it's their birthright as humans to have certain things. Yeah. That was a, a distasteful line coming out of Archer. But I think that that moment between him and Paul is actually well rendered. There's a scene between the two of them where they are effectively arguing about the prime directive without the prime directive yes. existing. Yes. And I think it was a critical moment. And I think that that may have been one of the impetuses of this episode was the desire to have that kind of pre prime directive debate because to Paul does in this moment, I thought the writing was really great for to Paul she says, what will you do if you take them from this planet? You will take them to earth and do what? Teach them to read, teach them to wear clothes, teach them to eat human food and live planet side. What will their lives be like? You are effectively destroying a culture. Yep. And she argues it from the position of they are not prepared, nor do they want that. But effectively, it is a form of cultural genocide. It would be yep. taking a group of people as small as 50, but still given enough time, this is exactly what the prime directive is built for to say, this is a well, group in isolation is, who should be left alone. This is why I, would, I disagreed with what you said earlier about 
um it was kind of distasteful about how archer was imposing his will upon these people and these people basically ended up having to give in to him i don't i didn't see that way i I saw it as they met in the middle it was like archer changed his point of view of trying to take them back to earth because they're human right to no you're right we have to maintain their culture the way it is and the best way to do that is to find them new caves in an area that doesn't have this problem on the same planet and so it was like to me that was the nice compromise of him recognizing i can't take them from here i can't destroy their culture we have to preserve them for what they want but we need to help them and it was them recognizing we need the help and so it's like to me i thought the way it ended where they ended up was fine i didn't find any problem with that Mm -hmm. um but i agree with you the stuff he said in that conversation was kind of like there were some record scratch moments of like wait what you said you you said what (laughs) which as record scratchy as those moments were i felt like big picture they 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 do make sense in the big picture because that's the reason why the prime direct you don't need a rule like the prime directive if every captain in your fleet is ready to live by it instinctively Yes. You need that rule when people's instincts might lead them to countermand that idea. So that's why the prime directive exists. Yes. It's sort of like freedom of speech. There's a freedom of speech built into the US Constitution because the framers of the Constitution were like, sometimes governments like to take that away. So mm-hmm. we got to not have that happen. So as Matt pointed out, Archer sees a middle point between take them off planet. They search out a location in the Southern hemisphere of the planet that would be free from the poisoning because the impact of the asteroid has put this cloud of poisonous dust into the atmosphere completely in the Northern hemisphere. So they look and they find a location which is similar to the environment and caves that they already live in and they make the pitch let us relocate you let us move you to this new location and there's some interesting i did like there are a couple of moments of of one of the novans making the argument well you wouldn't be wanting to move us if you didn't think our caves were worth something yeah it's like this idea of like there must be value in this thing and and the mindset being that the cave in and of itself is valuable in some way. And Archer is finally able to get through to Nadette because she is, she's basically, she says, I'm getting memories back. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. recalling things I've forgotten about my childhood. She's recognizing the relationship that she as the oldest has to the original colony. And she makes the argument, we need to tell everybody about this. And, and it sets up the idea of moving as a positive. And at the end of the episode, again, all the missed opportunity that you pointed out, your idea of Mayweather being the protagonist of the episode would have been beautiful because at the end they do loop it back in. Yeah, they bring him back. With him, they bring him <laughs> back and, and Archer suggests that Mayweather, because of his expertise in the original colony and the lore of the original colony, that he write the report for Starfleet to explain what happened on this visit to to Terra Nova and what happened to the original colony. And 
you get to see Mayweather have exuberance and excitement, but it's yeah. really the only thing. It's not earned. It's not earned. The only <laughs> other moments with Mayweather in the episode are him looking concerned while holding yeah. a phaser with literally no lines at various points. It's just like, you can tell that the director, LeVar Burton, yeah. probably said to him like, okay, hold the gun, look like you're ready for action and look in the horizon. And in some cases, that's all he got to do. So overall, it's, I wanted to like the episode because mm-hmm. for, for a couple of things, one thing that made me want to like the episode, I like that the series is trying to do things with that tall tale motif, the ghost story motif. I want them to work better than they do yes. in the episodes. I also liked the prime directive debate. I yes. like the the growing emergence of a recognition of like, we're coming out here to do all these great things, but when we see people in danger, is it really okay for us to swing in on a chandelier, grab them and take them out? Or do we owe something to the overall culture and society that we're visiting? Mm-hmm. Because when we leave, what will we have left behind? Will we screw things up? I like that. But I do agree with one of the responses that, was along the lines of this episode only shows you Archer. It only really gives you Archer doing anything from the crew. Mm -hmm. And the only growth here is, as you point out, among the people who they leave behind and will never see again. Exactly. uh, It it makes it hard to to see this as a really great episode. It's, It's a nothing burger. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not a horrible episode. It's definitely not a good episode. It's just kind of like I finished watching it. It was kind of like, you know, eating an after dinner mint. It's like it's in your mouth for a few seconds and then it's gone. You're like, mm, that was kind of, well, okay. <laughs> it's like it's, but yeah. There's not much there and it's a squandered opportunity. It's, it's there, there's so much potential for interesting character development and being more explicit about that pr- uh, prime directive argument. And there was so much stuff they could have done that would have been really cool and interesting that could have had ramifications to following episodes for the characters themselves. And they did none of that. So it's it's just kind of like a forgettable episode. It's just, okay, whatever. I also couldn't help but wonder if the episode, because it's, it's a quiet episode. Uh, There's a little bit of gunfire, a little bit of action chasing through tunnels, but unlike the previous episode where you had trip, under the effect of the hallucinogenic spore, like they're in a cave in that episode, but there's palpable tension. Yes. You know, you're concerned, like somebody's going to die if things don't go well. This episode has a flute solo. And and a guy yelling and a guy yelling, I'm leg broke. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, wait, what? (laughs) And I couldn't help but wonder if maybe the low stakes and slightly boring pace uh, confused some of the reviewers because there's a note in, in that I discovered in the Wikipedia write-up of this that Sonny Lee of Entertainment Weekly said of the episode that the Novans were supposed to look alien, but, quote, their faces look normally human with a dab here and there of yellow and blue powder, close quote. And I couldn't help but wonder, did Sonny Lee think that they were not humans? Because that was the main the point, point of the entire episode. <laughs> yeah. Like, these are not going to be aliens. They are not supposed to look alien. They are supposed to look tribe-like. They are supposed to look like humans 
who have lived in a in a more primitive setting in a cave and are probably dabbing paint literally on their faces. Yeah. So I couldn't help but wonder if if this was somebody fell asleep halfway through the episode and yeah. woke up and was like, well, they saw oh, the beginning oh, and they saw the end. And that was it. They don't look like aliens. <laughs> I, and I like that you pointed out this was the first episode directed by LeVar Burton of the Enterprise series. Yeah. And I saw that he directed a total of, I think, nine episodes. So there's nine mm-hmm. more episodes coming up that he directed. Yeah, I looked up I looked up uh LeVar Burton's little bio regarding Star Trek uh itself. He directed and, a lot. And he has a total of twenty-nine episodes. He has the most directorial credits for a former cast member of anybody. And that in, and and I found that surprising because in my mind it was always Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan always, well, he did the movies. Like, so it's he did the yeah, but it's yeah. it he's always stood out as like, oh, he was the one who became a director of the series. Mm-hmm. And and it's it, that ignores LeVar Burton's obvious impact. And I will say this about this episode. I did feel like it was well directed. Yes. Especially the one scene that stood out as, oh, this is really beautifully artistically done is the flute scene. Yes. Where it is showing people with interesting lighting, interesting settings, playing these flutes in different locations in a cave where they are effectively communicating with each other through music from wherever they happen to be. And it gives the impression that this is an improvised form of connection and community building for this group. And it is a beautiful directorial moment because of the way the shots are framed, how the people are depicted and, and also Reed's reaction. Reed is the, and I thought it was interesting. Reed is the only one who sees that. And again, it goes back to your earlier uh, suggestion. Nobody other than Archer and the Novans are given any kind of character development. Reed witnesses this yep. cultural moment and he tells nobody, nobody. about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you had had the revised version that Matt and I kind of spitballed a little while ago, if it was in fact Mayweather and Archer, if they had stayed in the cave, if they had seen this, that could have been the turning point where Archer would have said, I'm not right to take them away. Yes. That could have been a moment where Mayweather could have said, this is not unlike what we did on our ship. We had moments on our ship where we did our own thing that nobody else would ever do because it was ours and we came up with it in isolation. You could have had some interesting prime directive arguments between Mayweather and the captain, which would have been interesting. Yes. Yes. Uh, Paul could have started the argument and Mayweather could have picked it up and carried it with more emotional weight. Exactly. So opportunities, opportunities that uh, weren't really fully, fully embraced. Good acting, good directing. The flaw in this episode was just the writing. It it was not greatly not not now well, not well written before we wrap up in our episodes we like to take a deeper dive into something within the episode and matt it's your turn what were yeah. you going to take a look at this week i i had to look into the language issue because as we've talked about the, the language evolution of the made, it made you feel leg broke is that what it, 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 it i felt leg broke um it, it was it was all shale made Sean. you feel was, achy it, head yeah, I had achy head and it was all shale. Um, I thought that was beyond stupid. <laughs> would be the best way to put it. It's like, it's been 70 years 
70 years. What would it actually take for language and a culture to diverge that much of what they were portraying? And I had the same feeling about Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome with the Tomorrow Morrow Land, all that kind yeah. of stuff. It's like bye bye. Mad Max was alive when society crumbled and he's aged, what, 30 years? And in 30 years, suddenly there's children speaking in weird. It's like, it's like, come on, how long would it take? So I looked into it and it was like the evolution of language. Um, there's something called the historic, historical linguistics. It's a modern science that determines how languages change over time. And there's something called Grimm's Law. And it's the first systemic sound change that was discovered by, um, it was noted by a Germanic uh, man, Frederick von Schlegel in 1806. And it discovered the gap between like the Latin language and how it evolved to modern Germanic language. And it found the signatures of how it changed over time. And it was led to how they can kind of determine how quickly language changes over the span of time. And the best way to look at it would be you and I went to the same college. We, we both have the same degree. We both had to read Beowulf. Beowulf was written over a thousand years ago. I don't know about you, Sean, but when I read Be Beowulf, I was like, what? You have to basically <laughs> read that book with, um, like, I remember the book I had was on the left page was the original Old English and on the right page was the translated version so you could make right. sense of what you were reading because Beowulf is so... It broke my brain trying to make sense of that 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 book. That's a thousand years, right? Shakespeare, which was four hundred years ago, you can read Shakespeare and you can make sense of it. Right. That's four hundred years, and this show is saying in seventy years they evolved so quickly to the point where they would no longer say the word lie; they would say shale. And it's like <laughs> if a child knows. I'm pretty sure you, one of the first words I learned from mom and dad, you know, was like, you don't lie. You don't tell right. lies. I don't remember when mom and dad taught me what the word shale was. It's like, it's right. like what, how would shale become their word for lie? It doesn't make a lick of sense, especially with 70 years. So the idea that they, the culture would evolve that quickly. And that's where it comes back to the bad writing of this episode, because they clearly came up with the idea of, we want to have these humans that are not human, but humans didn't go to this planet until the 21st century and this show takes place in the 22nd century so they kind of put themselves in a box of it has to be less than 100 years right. well guess what this this can't happen based on <laughs> actual research of how fast languages evolve so i just thought that was kind of interesting that it's 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 something that does happen it happens it's happening right now a thousand years from now our language what we're saying right now is going to make little sense to somebody a thousand years from now, but <laughs> yeah. it's not 70 years from now. They're going to be able to understand us just fine. So right. that's where it's kind of like, if you watch movies from some of my favorite movies are from the 1940s, it would be like saying, I can't understand what Cary Grant is saying. It makes no right. sense. <laughs> it's like, come on, come on. What, what planet are you living on? It's like, yeah, they must be living on Nova. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I like that comparison to, <laughs> not understanding what Cary Grant is saying. <laughs> yeah. So next time we'll be checking out the episode, the Andorian incident. Matt, do you have any predictions as to, I think it's probably going to be some kind of incident that happens mm -hmm. with the Andorians. Mm. Yes. 
We'll see. We'll find out. There's only one way to find out if you're right, and that's to tune in next week. <laughs> Before we sign off, Matt, is there anything you want our listeners to know about what you have going on? Uh, one thing I would want to kind of pitch is I do a weekly show with a friend of mine. Um, his name is Ricky. We do a weekly podcast and show called Vice Versa, where we talk about the latest in renewable technologies and evs and things like that it's a, it's a fun show and it's we do it live so if you want to join in live and be part of the q a and talk with us uh we do that every week every thursday night as for me i will just remind people that you can check out my website seanferrell.com and you can also look for my books at any bookstore including amazon barnes and noble or your local retailer I, of course, am a big fan of local bookstores. So I encourage you to check for any of my books with your local seller first before you go to the big boys. If any of our listeners have any comments, please reach out. Did you like this episode? Or do you think we're off base and this is your favorite episode and you've got good reasons why? Do you think we're just full of shale? <laughs> you can find the contact information in the podcast notes. And of course, on YouTube, the comment section is directly below the video. Thank you to everybody for listening. And if you do enjoy the episodes, please remember to subscribe, to like the episode, and to share it widely with your friends and strangers. And don't forget, come back next time. Thanks so much for everybody. <laughs>